It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Tucker drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown, Raiders! The summer of Cliff, Cliff Branch, all summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler plays fake back to pass. Gets a big rush out. will cut the man. Stabler's throwing deep for Branch. He's got it to 20. But 10. Touchdown, Raiders. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now... Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT in studio today at Lotus Broadcasting. No Bobby today. Magnum's in with me. Thrilled to see him as we open up the Summer of Cliff and one of our final broadcast, our final broadcast for the Summer of Cliff here in Vegas before I head out to Canton, Ohio tomorrow to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we will be there for the Raiders on Thursday night, the enshrinement on Saturday, back on Sunday. So wheels up tomorrow, uh, a little bit less than 24 hours. I'll be getting out of here tomorrow around 10.30 in the morning, off to Canton, and then the party starts, and it should be a big one. Really excited about this one. I knew it would happen. I wish it happened when Cliff was with us and alive. Didn't happen that way, so we'll go throw a party for him. And hopefully it's setting up to be one of the greatest Raider parties of all time. We're brought to you by our good friends at PT's. The best happy hour in town is from 5 to 7, midnight to 2, half-off drinks. That's pretty good in a town like this. Have you bought a drink lately? Have you gone out and seen the prices? Why not do it 5 to 7, midnight to 2, watch sports? PT's fuels the monologue. Been with me forever. And we always appreciate their proud support of us as they are helping us get out to Canton, Ohio, as our lead partner there. So thanks again to Golden Entertainment and everybody at PTs. Wow, I can go in 10 different directions today. I had the trade. I had it before anybody. Yeah, I did. Juan Soto to the Padres. I had that on July 25th. The only problem is I threw in Fernando Tatis. My source told me that they're trying to get out of Tatis and move him on a third-party deal. Because eventually they're not going to be able to afford Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado. They can't. I mean, the Yankees could barely afford that of the Dodgers. So I still believe they're trying to move Tatis. I know his contract. He would have to waive the no trade if they could find a spot for him. Maybe the Padres hang on to all three of them here. But I'll stand by what I said. Juan Soto to the Padres. I knew that was the team. The question is, do they move Tatis or is Tatis moved to a third team? We'll see how that plays out. But that's the huge story today. So that's big because we're not too far from San Diego here in Vegas. We're not. And a lot of Dodger fans live in Vegas. So clearly San Diego, for whatever reason now, is saying we can compete with the Dodgers. We have the payroll to do it. We're going to do it. And the middle of that lineup, and I like the Dodgers lineup. Don't get me wrong. You know, when you look at Turner and you look at the players that they have in the middle of that lineup, uh, Mookie Betts, one of the best players in baseball, Freddie Freeman, very good lineup. I like the Padres better in the middle. If Tatis stays and comes back and he's part of this long-term or short-term with Soto and Machado, that 3-4-5 is sick. That's unbelievable. Hosmer, what they have in this deal, it's pretty incredible. So I got to give the Padres a lot of credit. I lived in San Diego eight years. I lived there during the Tony Gwynn era. Greatest hitter I've ever seen live. Every time I went to a game, he got two hits. One was a double. He was brilliant. Soto was young. He has two years control on this contract. And we'll see what happens. You know, Eric Hosmer refused to remove 
Uh, Washington from his no-trade list, a source told ESPN, as Jeff Passam is still writing about this, sources told ESPN that the return package from the Padres is pretty big. Their big uh, left-handed pitcher, Mackenzie Gore, and look, I'm not a guy who knows all the prospects in the minor leagues. I talk major leagues, not minor leagues. But basically, San Diego gave away, gave away their minor leagues. James Wood, C.J. Abrams, uh, Robert Hassel III. They give away their best players to make this deal, which I'm in full support of. Uh, Soto, a two-time All-Star, who also has a World Series, is 23 years old. Uh, he has two years left on his contract. The path for Soto turning down. Remember, he turned down 15 years, $440 million. $440 million. He didn't like the 15 years. I, I wouldn't blame him either. These 15-year, 10-year deals stink. But we'll see what happens as he has a couple of years left on that. And I think the Padres obviously want to sign him long-term. And to do that, they might have to move one of the pieces again. So that's the big breaking news today. Yesterday's breaking news was Deshaun Watson. We did a lot of that, and I did it last night on my SiriusXM show. If you didn't get in on Deshaun Watson, we're still waiting to see if the NFL is going to appeal the decision of only six games for Watson, which I think is pathetic and a joke. I think that Watson should be suspended for the entire year. Now the commissioner, who's very busy here as I get to Stephen Ross and the Dolphins in the announcement today, and the findings here as the Dolphins are in big-time trouble, the commissioner looks like he's trying to clean the slate and clean everything up here before the start of the season. So this is a very important week in the NFL on the settlement of Deshaun Watson for six games by an independent judge and the fact that the commissioner could say, no, no way. We are not dealing with six games. We need eight to ten or we look foolish. Or the commissioner might say, you know, I got a lot of other things. Six games will live with it. Let's move on so they don't upset the union. Remember, there's a business. The union is the players. The owners are run by the commissioner. The commissioner is the face of the owners. The owners might not want this war right now. They might look at Deshaun Watson and say, the hell with him. We don't care about him. He, we got bigger problems with Daniel Snyder, Stephen Ross. We got big problems here we have to deal with. Uh, threats of tanking and you know owners getting suspended. Daniel Snyder maybe getting voted out. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I think Roger Goodell has to show the strength of the shield in the NFL to ask for a few more games. And I think most people believe that. I think 90% of football fans believe that the commissioner will go back and have to come back with a counter. And the counter will probably be two more games. I don't know why Deshaun Watson wouldn't agree to that. Instead of six games, he's gone for eight, and he moves on with his life. And if not, NFL fans are going to be pretty pissed off about this, and it's going to be a topic for a long time to come. If you have anything you want to add to that conversation, jump on in at 702-365-9200. Again, as I open up the show, it's the last show I'm doing in Vegas before Canton tomorrow. I'd like to leave on a good note with the summer of Cliff. If you have a Cliff Branch story or you want to send Cliff off into the Hall of Fame, do it today. Uh, I'm off Thursday because we have the game. I'm hosting the pregame show from the booth leading up to the game. The debut of Jason Horowitz, who's going to be the new play-by-play voice with Lincoln Kennedy. So that's going to be a really big opportunity there. And then on Friday, we have a show and an hour of it's going to be the best of Cliff, which we put together, which I'm excited about that. Now let's move to the owner today who was reprimanded, the only owner to vote against the Raiders moving to Vegas. Just one. One owner, Stephen Ross, wanted to vote against the Raiders 
coming to Las Vegas. After everything Mark Davis went through with Carson, Libby Shaft in Oakland, all the crap, he had all the owners get behind him and vote on this, and a lot of that thanks to Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft and Stan Kroenke, who backed the move. But Stephen Ross said no. So Ross was reprimanded and suspended today, which was a slap on the wrist, a small fine and a suspension, because they were tampering with Tom Brady. They were tampering with Tom Brady. Now, the independent investigation cleared the Dolphin organization of any issues related to tanking and all of the Brian Flores' other allegations. Remember, Brian Flores was fired. He said that the team told him to lose on purpose. That's a big deal because I don't think Brian Flores would lie about that. He comes from the Belichick tree. We got a two guys from the Belichick tree here in Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. And Flores basically there is now pushed aside, but the owner was hit. The fact that Stephen Ross wanted Sean Payton and Tom Brady over Mike McDaniel and Tua, respectively, gets in the way of what's going to happen next as this team tries to build here. We found out today that the Miami owner was tampering with Tom Brady and wanted Tom Brady when he was a member of the Patriots. Oh, and I'll get to Brady in a second. So what does this mean? This is an owner that broke the rules. He tampered. He he tried to get the greatest player of all time, of all time, while he was under contract with two teams, New England and Tampa Bay. I don't know what, what are we doing to get these owners in trouble? I mean, this is a big deal. You can't get them with money. You can't go to an owner and say, hey, man, we're going to take $15 million from you when you're worth $4 billion. As Mike Florio wrote today, we had him on yesterday. What a big get for us. He said, it's sort of amazing that the league didn't find Ross guilty of attempted tanking or something along those lines. That's clearly what he was doing. And by resisting the, the desires of his own team, Flores saved his ass of his boss while also signing on to his eventual termination slip. Very good point there. The NFL couldn't afford to punish Ross for tanking because the NFL is still defending the wrongful discharge claim brought by Flores against the Dolphins. So the league is still looking at Brian Flores, who has a lawsuit against the league and a team. So what they did today is they quietly went after Ross for tampering. So the league, while acknowledging that Ross engaged in behavior that should have resulted in punishment, simply decided not to punish him, at least for tanking. This is a really big deal. You know, everybody calls me and people out of state always say to me, JT, what's the gambling like in Vegas and football? And I remind them, you know, six, seven years ago, Tony Romo wasn't allowed here to have his fantasy football draft. Remember that? Tony Romo had to cancel because fantasy football, the league didn't want that. And now the league is involved with gambling, which I have no problem with. I mean, the whole world's involved in gambling. If the league wants to make some money off of it, I have no problem. But when it comes to now Stephen Ross for tampering, for Sean Payton and Tom Brady. Sean Payton was the coach of New Orleans. Tom Brady was playing for the Buccaneers, and before that, he was playing for New England. So this is a really big story today because the NFL today suspended Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, for the first six weeks. Ooh, didn't Deshaun Watson get six weeks for lewd and crude behavior in front of women? What's with six? Six is the number we're coming up with? How is Stephen Ross not suspended for the entire season? 
And this is the root of this problem, ladies and gentlemen. The union, the union is saying, wait a second. What are you doing with these owners if they step out of line compared to our players? And remember, you're listening to a radio host that supports owners. I think the owners put up more risk, more dollars. It's their team. Players come and go. But if the owners step out of line like this, you got to come down harder on them. Mary Jo White was hired to investigate the allegation that Ross and the Dolphins tried to tank in 2019 in order to improve their 2020 draft. Ended up investigating whether and to what extent Ross and the Dolphins tampered with Brady and Peyton. She found that they did. Quote, the Dolphins had communications with quarterback Tom Brady in 2019 and 2020. While he was under contract with the New England Patriots, the league said. Those communications began as early as August 2019 and continued throughout the 2019 season and postseason. These numerous and detailed discussions were conducted by Mr. Beal, who in turn kept Mr. Ross and Dolphin executives informed of his discussions with Tom Brady. Okay, let's stop. What about Tom Brady? What the hell's he doing? He's aware of this. They're trying to get Tom Brady to Miami. So Tom Brady's got a cushion. He's got an agent, Don Yee. So he has someone blocking him from getting in trouble. But these discussions now in an internal investigation are true. In January of 2022, the Dolphins communicated with Don Yee, the agent for New Orleans head coach Sean Payton, and the agent for Tom Brady about Mr. Payton serving as the Miami coach. Miami did not consent from consent with New Orleans to have these discussions. This is huge. And this is the guy that voted against your Las Vegas Raiders to come here. So as I tweeted out earlier today, you got to get rid of this owner. You, one of the richest owners in all of sports, you got to get rid of him. He is hated now amongst his fans because Miami was stripped with their first round pick next year. We're talking first round, and it's third round pick in 2024. Ross is barred from the team's facility through October 17th, which is a joke. He can't represent the club at any team league event. He's barred from any league meetings before March of 2023. That's a big deal, and he's been fined $1.5 million. Beal, the vice chairman and limited partner of the Dolphins, has been barred from all league meetings. They hit him from five hundred grand. And there it is. Another team cheating. Now, look, you look in sports, teams cheat all the time. But when you cheat and get caught, there's got to be ramifications. So there's no doubt today as I open up the show that the Dolphins, who are in business against the Raiders in the AFC and voted against Mark Davis coming to Vegas, now this owner has been reprimanded. Do you think this reprimand is fair or not? 702-365-9200. So those are national stories, and they're big ones, huge big ones. Debo Samuel back with the 49ers on a big deal. So what do we want to talk about with the Raiders? What's a good Raider topic today? Well, I think a good one is the fact that their depth chart ahead of the pregame coming up here has been presented. Mick Akers and a lot of Vinny Bonsignor people put it out now. So as we look through the Raiders roster and their depth chart, which I don't think means anything, on a scale of 0 to 100, I rank this at a 4. This is not a priority with me, but it is for some of you fans because I don't talk about guys who are going to make the practice squad. Once a Raider, always a Raider. They're great guys. But if you're not going to make a difference on this team and be a great player helping this team get to the playoffs, I don't spend a lot of time on that on my show. I don't spend a lot of time on teams that don't make the playoffs 
When the Golden Knights missed the playoffs, you didn't hear a peep out of me. Okay, UNLV wins one game or two games, you don't hear a peep out of me, even though I like to coach, and I'm pulling for them. We talk about what matters in championships and winning here. So as I looked at this depth chart, what fans are going crazy about is Leatherwood is there at right tackle. I'm not surprised there. He's the right tackle of this team. He was drafted in the first round to be the right tackle. Uh, is there depth at that position? Look, I'm not a huge Brandon Parker guy. I'm not a big Leatherwood guy, but I'm hoping that Leatherwood could get a lot better. So I'm hoping that happens. What else did we see here on this depth chart? Uh, we see the interior of the line. Andrew Billings. A Bilal Nichols who's been banged up. I mean, it doesn't look like a great interior line. I mean, look, I, I've been saying, when are we going to get out of the Jelly Ellis era of this team? we got to get better defensive tackles in here. We all know that Jonathan Hankins, when healthy, is really good, and they need him back here healthy. They need him back here healthy when you look at what they're doing. I like Neil Farrell Jr., who they drafted. You know, you look at Butler, what they have in the middle. Okay, is it good? Is it average? I'll let Dave Ziegler talk about that. He's in charge. I just run the radio show. He's trying to figure out what to do there. On the edges, they have Chandler Jones and Mad Max Crosby. Now, this is the depth chart heading into a, the first preseason game, which is counted as game zero. They're not even counted as game one. It's game zero. At the linebacker position, Divine Diablo, Denzel Perryman, and Jayon Brown. And Brown's doing a nice job playing himself into a starter here, which is okay. And I like Perryman. Perryman better be good. He better be really good because I don't know if everybody has seen Derrick Henry Anybody see the workouts of Derrick Henry this offseason? He's breaking gyms. Like, they're, they're loading, like, seven plates on both sides, and he's throwing the plates down, and the gym's breaking. So you better hope that Perryman is in the middle of the field tackling Derrick Henry as I'm in Nashville in week three. That's, to me, the biggest matchup of the first part of the year. Everyone's like, oh, Justin Herbert might rip us up for 350, 400. Fine. F fine. No, Carr can match him for 400. We know that. Oh, week two, Kyler Murray can come in, home opener. He can run around, man. The Raiders better be able to contain. Okay, you're right about that. Week three is Derrick Henry. Somebody better be able to tackle at the defensive tackle position and the guy behind a middle linebacker because that Derrick Henry is going to truck people all year long. I think he's going to have the biggest year of his career. If he can stay healthy, he looks amazing. And then your boy JT got it right. I told you Nate Hobbs is a starting cornerback on the outside. Who had that a month ago? Moi. I told you. Nate Hobbs is better than Mullen as we speak. Mullen's been injured, but Hobbs is playing now at a level, I think, better. He's better than Amik Robinson. He's better than Anthony Averett. He's better than Mullen. He's better than Phillips. I think they got the guy there. Let's just let him play corner. Really, he's that good? If, if, if Mullen comes back and Mullen's ready to play whenever he's ready to play and he's a starting cornerback and Hobbs is inside at the slot, great with that. Nate Hobbs is one of the biggest stories so far that we have. Rock Yassin on the other side. But then I saved the best for last, Lester Cotton. So here we go with Lester Cotton, who's gotten a wake-up call now in his life, and it looks like he's developing into a starting guard on this team. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. When I uh, got released um, in 2020, I think, my second year, uh, it was a big wake-up call. I spent like, 10 months out, and I had to, like, really, like like I said, look myself in the mirror and, like, you know, say, if, if this is what I'm going to do, I have to lock in and be 110%. And um, 
That's what I've been doing every day. All I've heard inside the building is his work ethic, work ethic, work ethic, and how improved he is and his faith to get back there and have an opportunity to play with the ones. Most definitely. Um, you got a room full of guys that's, uh, that's very talented and very smart, and uh, they compete each and every day. And um, no, no starter is, like, guaranteed on the line because uh, Coach Carm and Coach uh, Josh, they make, they make that clear every day. And so we go out there every day and we just put our best foot forward and we, we compete with each other. It's a brotherhood. Like, it's, it's not like no, you know, ill will towards no one. Like, we all like together because you just never know who will be on the side of you. So we just go forward. All right. And one of the things about Lester Cotton is the mentorship with Derek Carr. Carr really has his back. Derek loves the fact that he's worked his way up to this status where he has an opportunity to start and play in some big games. Uh, yeah, I remember that my rookie year. And, um, you know, because we was having um, we was having lunch actually in um, in the cafeteria, and he came and sat by me and Dre and a few more rookies, and he was just saying how like you know guys like the door is like revolving, and like guys are like coming in and out each and every day, and like you just have to like dial in each and every day and just try to do your best, put your best foot forward each and every day, and that kind of like gave me like a fuel because like I was like man I don't want to be in that revolving door, I want to be like right here beside him right in front of him, protecting him, because his family is like a brother to me. And, uh, yeah, he gave me good advice, and I've been running with it ever since. So. This is a great story. So the last thing, everybody, and I'd like you to call in on this, is what happens on Thursday night. Who do you want to see play? I'm really interested on Thursday night because of the offensive line depth. We, we, Colt Miller doesn't have to play. I don't have to see Colt Miller. He can't tweak a hamstring, or a bicep. I don't need to see Colt Miller. If they want to let Colt Miller play a series, obviously no problem with that. You can get hurt at practice. You can get hurt in the gym. I'm not one of these guys that thinks you have to bubble wrap everybody, but Colt Miller is arguably the most valuable player on both lines, offense and defense. He's got to be ready to go. I want to see what Andre James does, Lester Cotton. Leatherwood should play a lot. Uh, The linebackers need to prove themselves and wrap and tackle. So I think this is an important game, as most of the guys will be in a baseball hat and shorts or, you know, the uniforms on, but not with pads, not playing, which I'm fine with. But there's a lot of guys who need to play. Okay? There's a lot of guys that need to play football here and play an NFL preseason game and start fighting for jobs. I want to see D-tackle, interior of the offensive line, linebacker, and what's going to happen? I mean, I don't want to see John Abrams sitting on the sideline with a baseball cap on. It's go time for him. If he gets hurt, okay, it's a shame. He's got to play something here. We're not we're not bubble wrapping Jonathan Abram, I hope. I don't know. Whatever the coaches do, I back the coaches. They're a lot smarter than me. But some guy's got to play, and it's going to happen on Thursday night. 9,200 as we open up. Robert, thanks for calling first. The summer of Cliff continues. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Hey, uh, I still I still haven't got over the Gruden, Washington, Redskin thing, but mm. you really point out the, you know, this is a big story. This Dolphin uh, losing mm. their number one choice. When he, when he was pursuing uh, that Sean Payton, Brady mm. angle, yep. um, was Payton... Uh, when he when he retired, mm-hmm. was he 
then approached immediately afterward? Or no, was he was approached before. Explain how that worked. Because he, co- he was coaching New Orleans before he was retired. Brady was going back further, back to New England and Tampa Bay. And they were looking, they were tampering because they were looking to put Peyton and Brady together in Miami. So that's, what, that's the tampering here, and that's why the owner is suspended now. And one of his assistants is suspended now. So this Who is what happened. Who turned him in? Who, who Flores. Flores turned him in. This is a Flores yes. investigation. It's all under the Flores investigation and, and what happened there. So Flores was connected to the Patriots. He knew this. He heard about this. There was a story about him being on a boat, and he heard about the conversations with Brady. So Flores has been pointing this out for a while. And unfortunately for Flores, they're saying everything that you had is probably right other than them tanking. It's really hard to prove that a team is tanking unless you have it on audio or video. And they weren't going to get that for Stephen Ross. So we'll see. As I said, in January of 2022, the Dolphins had communications with the agent for Saints head coach, Sean Payton, that's Don Yee, about having Mr. Payton serve as Miami's head coach. Miami did not seek consent from New Orleans to have these discussions which occurred before Coach Payton announced his retirement. Tampering with two teams. Stephen Ross. Get him out! Get him out! Daniel Snyder, get him out. This is the world we live in now. Get him out. One of Cliff Branch's best friends and greatest teammates joins us. My final guest as we build up to the summer of Cliff Branch, and it's heading out to Canton, Raymond Chester. Raymond gets emotional when he talks about Cliff. He'll join us next. I had Grimaldi's last night. Had friends in town from San Diego. My son went to Grimaldi's to go. Picked it up. We got a couple of Brooklyn bridges. The great pizzas there. Some salads and had a great night. Grimaldi's, best pizza I ever had. The summer of Cliff Branch continues with one of Cliff's best friends, the great Raider legend, Raymond Chester, kind enough to join us. Raymond, I'm sure you're super excited about Canton, where I'll see you in a couple of days. How are you? Hey, first of all, good to hear from you, my brother. Great to hear from you, Raymond. You're doing well. Absolutely. Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. You know, actually, actually, uh, JT, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little grief stricken still. I just lost another, another really dear friend, uh, Bill Russell. Yes. Um, and boy, I'll tell you what, man, uh, I keep losing those guys that are super close to me. Like, you know, like Cliff and, and Bill and I, uh, I've been friends for a lot of years, uh, so um, I'm happy about going to Canton and celebrating uh, Cliff, but I'm sad at losing yet another great athlete and great friend. Well, let's stay with your friend Bill Russell. And I know because I've seen you on the sidelines with Joe Morgan, who passed away. Bill Russell was a great friend. Take me back to when that friendship began with one of the greatest the greatest winner in professional sports history, but also a great civil rights leader when it came to sports. Oh, man, Bill Russell was such an icon and such a unique man. Uh, you know, the thing that grabs me first about him, uh, uh, obviously his athletic ability, his leadership ability, coaching ability, but, uh, boy, he was just so doggone unique uh, as a human being. Uh, and it takes a while to, 
to to know Bill and to get to understand him. I mean, most people's first reaction to Russell is is uh, you know, they they stand off. You know, they say well, he's kind of stand. He was kind of standoffish, this and that, and whatever. But he's one of the most intelligent men I ever met, and one of the funniest men I ever met. And I'll tell you a story about how I met him. I'll make it really quick. Um, after football, you know, I got into the golf business. And um, I had met Bill on several occasions at various events here in Oakland, you know, through Joe Morgan and Clem Daniels and those guys. Um, and so we were acquaintances. But, but, but uh, some time ago, back in the 80s, we got, we got invited to the Lee Elder Golf Tournament at Hilton Head, South Carolina. And Bill was there, and he and I happened to be playing in the same group. Uh, he actually had a hole-in-one. In that in that uh, that golf tournament, uh, what you know? So we teased him and said, you know, the guy who needs the money the least in his group is the one that makes the one. We had a hole in one and won five thousand extra dollars. So long story short, you know, we were in the airport uh, after the event. There were a lot of athletes there: Michael Jordan and Julie Servin, and a lot of great basketball players. And uh, I think mean, I was there because. Uh, because I was in the golf business and I knew Lee Elder, it, not so much that I was, you know, a great athlete on those, you know, mm-hmm. at, on those guys' standards, but they they liked me anyhow. So long story short, we're standing in the airport and uh, we're besieged by fans. The crowd just poured in, you know, and we we're we we're actually pinned to the back of the wall, our backs to the wall. You know, kids coming in, wanting autographs. I'm signing autographs, and everybody's signing autographs. And Russell's just standing there. And I'm like, dude, sign some autographs, whatever. And he's like, I don't sign autographs. I don't sign autographs. And I'm like, Bill, come on, all these are kids, man, come on. So he stood there. So then, just about then, a, uh, a, a guy showed up with four kids. And the guy came up, sheepishly came up and asked, you know, can you sign these for my kids and whatever. Mm-hmm. And Bill looked at him. He says, I don't sign autographs. He says, I don't sign autographs, but I'll be happy to take a picture with you and your kids. And that changed my whole understanding wow. of Bill Russell. He was a man who did and stood by his principle, but it did not mean that he was you know, or, you know, arrogant or egotistical or, or unfeeling. He stood there and took pictures with for the rest of that time that we were there with kids, with kids and 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 their their parents and whatever. So he had a principle, and his principle was I'm not going to sign autographs publicly anymore for whatever reason. That was his thing, and he stood by that. But it had no indication as of the, as to what type of human being that he was. Bill Russell was a great human being. And, and we spent a lot of time together. When he came here, he'd stay at my house. I, I'd go up to Mercer Island and stay at his house. Wow. And uh, I got to know him real well. Yeah. Sorry for your loss. Raymond Chester joins us as we get to Cliff. And again, you grieve Cliff, and we talked to you right after Cliff passed. And I know you had a really big, heavy heart. But now have you kind of moved to the fact that this is a party celebration and really a moment in Raider history, the Mark relationship with Cliff, your relationship. We had George Atkinson on. We had Freddie uh, yesterday as he's in Canton. His core group of best friends, and Willie Brown was in that crew also. You guys have been talking about Cliff to Canton for a long time. This has got to feel great, Raymond. 
Yeah, it is really, 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 really a great feeling. You know, the only thing is, you know, we all always could have experienced it, you know, in life. Um, you know, everybody knows, you know, and has their own feelings about how deserving Cliff was of this. Um, I can only say, I'll tell you what, you know, from the inception of the Raiders back in the 60s, Al Davis and every single Raider coach that, that has ever coached the Raiders has had, you know, certain standards. The model of the Raiders is pride, poise, the will to win, right? And speed, 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 speed. And, boy, I'll tell you what, every coach, starting with Coach, you know, Coach Davis, every coach has, has looked for those those assets in the players that have played and, and become part of uh, Raider legend. Cliff Branch exemplified all of that. I don't know a guy who was more proud to be a Raider than Cliff Branch. I don't know a better representation of the, of the Raiders and what they stand for than Cliff Branch. And I certainly don't know a player on the Raiders in the Raiders' history that has been any more of an impact on, on the winning tradition of the Raiders than, than Clifford Branch. I tell you, I, every time I think about him, and a lot, of, you know, and it's not all just touchdowns and the speed and all that. Uh, if you look at big plays that other players have made in, you know, in, in, in Raider history, look at the, the, the famous run, Super Bowl run that Marcus made. Look who's down there about yeah. making the, the last block for him. Look at a big run. I think about a big run that, you know, a run that, that I had of catch and run. Cliff's downfield. When you see a big play on the offense in Raider history, if Branch was on that team and on that field, he was somewhere trying to make a contribution. And a lot of times it was just getting down the field, leading and making a block, that, you know, the last block or whatever. But the guy was a total, total Raider. A total team player with total commitment, total pride, and speed, speed, speed. Raymond Chester, what a conversation and what a synopsis of how he represented. I want to follow up with representing the team because that's what ripped my heart out when he passed away because I was watching him along with Mark as they were getting ready for Vegas, and they were down here doing a lot of work in this community, and you have been too, Raymond. You're very active with the alumni, basically trying to educate the new fans in Vegas about the global presence of the Raiders worldwide, and it felt like Cliff was going to be the ambassador along with a few of your other guys to do this, and that's why I think Mark, one of the reasons Mark is going all in on this representation with you, and everybody was invited to go back to Canton for the induction and the party what a gesture on the part of mark davis and, and the davis family you know and, and i can't think of anybody more deserving the clip but mark i mean you're talking about going above and beyond to show your gratitude and your love for a very very special football player but a very very special human being cliff branch i happen to know about some of cliff's philanthropy and some of the things that he did in the community and not just not just the, the, the community where he lived, but everywhere he went, he, he was generous. He did things for kids. He, 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 was, he was the first one to basically agree to do an event on, on behalf of children and, and, and seniors and that kind of thing. 
Man, what a, what a, what a great loss. The NFL, the entire NFL and the entire sports world, uh, suffered, you know, when Cliff passed. But what a great celebration of, of his life and his football history and his career that we're going to have in Canton. Thank Mark Davis, uh, Mrs. Davis, the whole, uh, radio organization, uh, for the generosity and the tribute that they that we're going to pay to, uh, to a friend, a brother, and uh, actually my roommate. Yeah, your roommate. uh, Oh, my God, what a great player. How many times did I uh, stand near you and I'm blessed to say the cliff would come up and say, hey, roomie. You know, and, and for you guys to have that type of friendship. But, you know, Raymond, as we wrap this up again, uh, you grieve differently than others, and you're emotional, and you talk about it on the radio. You've lost a lot of people. I mean, you've lost a lot of friends, and these oh, friends d- these friends were your inspiration, and our inspiration is having you here with us for a long, long time going forward so you can share these stories and memories about your great friends who were sports legends with you. I can tell you that it was a brotherhood, a true, but we were true brothers. When you and I think back about Cliff, and I think about we, when we started to lose some of the players that were older than us. We lost Clem Daniels, we lost Willie, we, we you know we lost Warren Wells, and I can remember the the respect that Cliff and I learned to you know to have for the guys that were great players before us. I can hear Cliff now. Clem Daniels would walk in the room, or Warren Wells would walk in the room, and, and Cliff would go over and, and say, the great one, the great one, welcome. Welcome the great ones, the great Raiders. Now, here's a guy who will go down in history as being one of the greatest Raiders ever, one of the greatest NFL receivers ever, Cliff Branch, and then he sees Clem Daniels or Warren Wells or one of our older players, and 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 we, just, we learned to go pay homage to them, and not because we were – kissing the ring or anything like that, but we just respected the caliber of player that they were and what they, how they represented the Raiders and how they taught us to be great Raiders. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been the player that I was without guys like Tom Keating, you know, Freddie Bolitnikov, um, you know, Ben Davison, you know, Willie Brown. I, I wouldn't, but they taught us not just how to play, but how to represent pride, poise, the will to win. And they challenged us to be faster in everything we did. Awesome, Raymond. We'll let you go. We'll see you in Canton. Looking forward to seeing you and celebrating Cliff. All right. Thanks, CT. Best of to you all and your family always. You got it. Raymond Chester. Raymond Chester. How good was that? Wow. The Bill Russell part. The Bill Russell part is huge. I mean, those Oakland guys that were connected, Raymond, Joe Morgan, Mr. Davis, Willie Brown, Bill Russell, when the Raiders put out that compliment and the comments, they were dead serious about that. All right, coming up next, Jeff Sherman from the Westgate with the Juan Soto move. What has changed with the baseball odds at trade deadline? Also, what about the Raiders? Is the eight and a half number going to move? Are the Raiders going to go to nine on the win total? We'll get it from the authority from the Westgate. Jeff Sherman joins us next. JT, welcome back as we continue. 
Always a pleasure to welcome in Jeff Sherman from the Westgate, the Superbook, and everything he knows about the moving lines. And, Jeff, I'll begin with the Juan Soto blockbuster move. How does this affect the National League, the World Series odds as Soto goes from the Nats, reportedly, to the Padres? Yeah, immediate reaction there. We had the Padres at 18-1 to for the World Series. They're down to 12-1. to It's affected some other teams, too. So we bumped the Dodgers up from 3 up to 7-2. to uh, the Yankees are holding steady as a three-to-one favorites, but definitely a move on San Diego. Uh, was this? I knew this was something brewing for a while with Soto and what would happen and what was going to come back either way. But it didn't feel like the arms race that I thought it would be because Boston's not involved and they've been involved for the last decade. The Yankees have Judge and Judge is putting up a season like we've never seen, and they got to take care of his contract. And with Mookie Betts with the Dodgers. Uh, that's interesting to me. A lot of Dodger fans thought that they could do Mookie and Soto, and we'd have to shut this place down for a while. Yeah, you know, the Cardinals were in the mix there for a bit, but uh, it really led to San Diego, and they've got a nice lineup now, but the only problem is they're 12 games behind the Dodgers in the NL West, so they're looking at a wild-card spot and have to play through some teams above them. That's why they're still 12-1 to 1 longer than some of the teams at the top. What about Judge and the MVP? What do we see here with him now as he's exploded off the All-Star break? Yeah, we've actually closed those odds because it looks pretty good for him at this point for the home run title and the MVP odds, so we no longer offer those options. Jeff Sherman joins us. Uh, what a great job he does over at the Westgate. Uh, we lean on him heavy during the NFL season, which is right around the corner. So give us your class on betting and how betters jump into the preseason. The limits on this, what happens, trends, coaches who play starters, some don't, and what we've seen over the last couple of years, how hard is it to handicap? Yeah, we're getting uh, kicking off this Thursday with the Raiders and Jaguars, and we have the uh, Raiders and Jags pick them with a total of 30.5, and, and this total has plummeted a bit, and this is typically the game you don't see any starters in an extra week before we really get going. But the limits, like you mentioned, are a lot lower. We take 3000 on the side, a dime on the total. Usually the, the regular season is mm-hmm. a lot larger, near 20000 So, um, And a lot of it is predicated on coaches. You know, the Ravens have won a ton of preseason games in a row, and you've mm-hmm. already seen line movement on their game next week from minus 3 to minus 5. So people are going to be looking at the coaches, sometimes new coaches that want to get off to a good start, and then against coaches that have done well the previous year that have no reason to play their players. Jeff Sherman is our guest. So yeah, that fascinates me here. And has there any has there been any movement in season win totals with some of the moves we've seen as of late? Most importantly, Deshaun Watson and the six game suspension that could end up on appeal and be more. And then obviously what's going on with Trey Lance and the forty ers Yeah, we've moved the Deshaun Watson information from nine and a half season wins on the Cleveland Browns to eight and a half over 30. So it moved down one win and the playoff price, they were pick them to make the playoffs. Now it's no minus 170 yes plus 150. We had no change in the Super Bowl odds are still sitting at 40 to one. So the team that's been garnering a lot of inform- a lot of support lately has been the LA Chargers. We mm-hmm. went from 14 to one down to 10 to one. Uh, yesterday we took a $15,000 wager on them at 14 to one and their season win total uh, a few weeks ago was 10, now it's 10.5. So the Chargers have become very popular as of late. That's what I wanted to ask you because I was going to follow up with a couple other teams in the West, the Raiders at 8.5. And, and is there any tinkering on that number going to 9? And I'll follow up with uh, Denver with Russell Wilson. There's a lot of support, a lot of fans thinking that Denver can go over that number of 10.5. 
Yeah, we have uh, the Raiders still at eight and a half. Now we've taken a lot of over support, so we opened at minus one ten. We're up to minus one thirty, so it doesn't look like it's headed to nine at this point. But we have taken over money, and that's changed the price on it. And Denver, we've seen some sharp support for them to miss the playoffs in their prop, where they mm. were a small favorite and has come down to near pick them. But uh, that's really the telling tale with the Broncos is uh, almost the Raiders. I know they're behind them in their season win total. But there's a lot of positive play on the Raiders, a lot of negative play towards the Broncos. What about the Packers and what they were doing last year as the one seed in the bye week and then losing to the 49ers? They lose Devontae Adams. Is there any value on the Packers coming forward this year? What are their numbers in the NFC and the Super Bowl? Yeah, well, we're still sitting at 10-1 to 1 for the Packers for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. and it's, You're not going to see too much higher unless they come out of the gate poorly because they always garner support. They have pretty close to the same team, and they were – pretty much the best team in the NFC last year and just blew that game against San Francisco. So, you know, you might find 12-1 to tops right now, but it's going to take some poor performances actually on the field to get that up higher. Director of Risk Management over at the Westgate. Here he is, Jeff Sherman. I want to follow up with one more team, the Ravens. They were decimated by injuries last year. they got to figure out, I think they're going to get the Lamar Jackson extension going long-term. I don't know what the priority is on that. But the Ravens, the value with them there now, not only in the AFC, but the Super Bowl. Yeah, they're sitting at 14-1, to and they've been very mm. popular. Wow. And we've, we did recently adjust with the Deshaun Watson news, the division odds, and they were plus 125. We bumped them up to plus 140 because we had to take Cleveland down a little bit. Cincinnati's been getting some play, so they've dropped. So not too much play on the division, so they've eased up about a bit. But uh, for the Super Bowl, 14-1 to is being well-supported. Hey, Jeff, finally, with all your knowledge with golf, and I'm a PGA Tour guy over Liv, I wouldn't play Liv if I was a golfer, but I'm not one. But, man, I saw a lot of momentum. I saw a lot more social media on Live than I saw on Rocket Mortgage, and it was nice that Tony Finau won back-to-back. But what have you been noticing there on what's happening with the sports gambler with golf when it comes to Live Golf and they're building up their war chest, not only of money but picking off some still good players? Yeah, and I think there's more to come because there's a lot of rumors about Cameron Smith and Hideki Matsuyama, and if they get those two individuals, you know, reigning open champion – and Matsuyama with his Japanese influence there, those will be two really big gets, and I think they might announce those after the FedEx playoffs in about a month. So I don't think they're done migrating players over to live, and it's just going to keep increasing the betting handle as these recognizable names get over there. I mean, they're polarizing figures at this point, but it's definitely names that the public wants to be involved with. So the betting handle will go up. We both agree to that, but until they have a TV deal and people can watch it more, what are you noticing over at the Westgate when people want to watch live compared to the PGA Tour, and it's difficult to find? Yeah, well, we definitely put that out there because we do stream, and it's very easy to stream. Mm-hmm. So it is out there just as if it's on the TV channel, but if you're at home, it makes it a little bit more difficult. And I, I don't think they're looking to get one done by this season, but with the structure in place for next season, I'd be very surprised if there isn't one in place next season. And, you know, I, one idea I was throwing around, it might be on like a Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2, just because of Rupert Mur- Murdoch from Australia owning that, not a U.S. entity that might not have as much controversy that goes with it. Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk to you NFL season. I'll get in touch with you when I get back from Canton. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, JT. Jeff Sherman. There he is. Guy knows how to set the lines. Did you hear what he said about moving the number? Wow. The bet on the Chargers from 14 to 10. And the size of that bet on the Chargers to win it all. Raider Nation, we got a problem here. We got a problem here with the Chargers. I can only hold up the wall in Game of Thrones for so long. 
I am out in front of the Dragons trying to hold up the Chargers. Everybody's got the Chargers going to the Super Bowl. Everybody's got the Chargers. Now they moved it up. What did he say? They moved it up from 10.5 to 11? Or from 10 to 10.5? What's going on with the Chargers? 